Yeah. Thank you very much. Ah, that's a bit bright. I'm just going to strop the whole. This is the thing when you're tall. You get blinded, which I'm still didn't really make a difference, anyway. Well, look, you're all very welcome. You're all very quiet. Why don't you turn around and say hello to somebody? And maybe if you're there, just tell them their, side, their smile suits them. This is quite tall for me. You're all very welcome. You're all very, very welcome. Look, I want to also, I just really want to again give it up to Colin, Rebecca, and Raymond. I mean, it, to, to jump in and to continue to, to stretch. And, you know, I know Colin's been like, I've only picked up a guitar for the first time in a long time. And Rebecca, who you're very gifted, Rebecca, and you keep stewarding those things. And Raymond, who faithfully serves in the background and does a lot of different things, we, we appreciate it. So just give those guys another. Um, I, I think I, you know, mornings like this morning don't happen without, you know, people that got stepping in and really um, leading as well. And I think. You know, we so easy in our culture get caught into worship being performance. And we have to be very, very careful. Because there's a very, very, there's a big difference between having squeaky clean worship performance than an anointed um, worship set. And because the hearts of, of people in it, you know, I often can find you can go into a room where there's worshipers and there could be two or three of them. And the Spirit of God can be really, really in that place. Or you can go into a place and there's 200, 2,000. And you're like, this is just a, another, you know, concert as such so we never want to we never want to be that and so I really appreciate you guys who take the time and um and I said before Rebecca keep stewarding what you're stewarding because you I just I want to I do it publicly because um it, that way there's a there's an, a, an accountability but you got to keep stewarding the, the gift that you have you have a you have a set along zone you you have a you have a good voice but even beyond that Rebecca you, ha, you have a heart for the Lord and I want to just fan into confidence that you would have a, a confidence in your life to where God places you to lead and, and to do that. He has he has placed you I really feed to worship lead. Um and, and you probably are fighting it, um if I can say that. And you have supportive parents who are pushing you along the way and you're like, well, give me a bit of a break, you know. And actually I feel like I feel like, you know, you've really gotta step into it. And the Lord will give you grace. I feel like he's he's gonna he's gonna help you flourish and, and grow on this next time. I know you're you're pursuing that in your education, but I really feel like you just gotta um, I think the Lord's got great things for you. It might not be the glitz and the glamour, what everyone thinks a word like that might be, but I feel like for you, Rebecca, it's just gonna be dedication to the Lord and in a in a culture and a community that are going, you know, it's all about them getting the limelight. I feel like you're gonna give the Lord a limelight, so he's gonna keep her heart heart right in that. So keep that keep that up. Um Again, I just, I just echo what, what Heather said. I think for a church, we are punching way above our weight, right? Now, I know I'm a skinny dude, right? So again, I guess that's not often the biggest weight. But we, we had uh, around 700 people come through, through the doors. And now, this building is not the most accessible building. Uh, it's in the center of town, park, car parking's away, across the way. And, you know, one of the after the, you know, great feedback during, during the time and people asking questions and, you know, and oftentimes when you think you do events like that, it's just the same people coming and coming. But I want to say at least, I would say at least over 60% of the people who came yesterday were not people who had been in previous years. They had heard through word of mouth and they came and, and they encountered something very different. And the, the reviews happen afterwards, you know, people go online, you know, and they, because we live in a, you know, a TripAdvisor review world and people are giving shout outs and saying, you know, ever since Journey Down Patrick came to, to Down Patrick that they've been really so and into our community and, and 
uh, you know, it, what they do is great, and all those things that go on. But one of the comments was, uh, walk through Bethlehem is becoming a staple event in the, in the festivities of Downpatrick every year. And, and that says something that not only is you're gaining favor, but people look forward to what you're doing. And we, we subtly, I mean, it's very hard to, you get them through and there's a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. You get them all, and I mean, in here was packed and you wouldn't have to tell because the team did a great job clearing up. I mean, there was a big stable and everything built and uh, I mean, there was, there was straw everywhere. Well, well, it's straw, isn't it? No, hey, I get them all mixed up. Apparently there's a difference. Um, <laughs> You know, it's all the same substance, really. Like, all you farmers are cringing right now. You're like, you know. Uh, and you get them in, and, and you have them all, and you have a captive audience. And it's, it's, it's a trick to try and package the Christmas message in two sentences without ever hanging them over hell. Because they're not here, obviously. They're not expecting. They go, they're coming to church, obviously. But there's one of those things that I really feel like as a church, we're able to, there's not many other places can get a, a 700 people sitting and, and be able to, to package and contextualize a, a message of, of the true reason for the season in a way that, you know, and hopefully it lands. So just keep praying that, you know, seeds are being planted. And as we, we will have more overt ways to, to reach people, that hopefully they will, we have gained favor. And I think we do that, and that just takes time. And really do feel like that, that's shifted. And they often come as well. I think they're just nosy because they're going right when they move into the cricket club. And they're like, you know, wanting to know all the, the wee stories as well. So I think they do that. But again, we were reflecting going, um, there was easily about 90, 95% of our church that are involved. And you know, the, the, the age old saying is 20% of people do 80% of the work. And I don't like to brag and I don't like to compare, but um, actually Antrim are struggling to get to the same uh, numbers in, of volunteers that actually in a church that's probably two or three times the size. So I want that credit goes to you guys, the buy-in, the ownership and the getting involved like that for me. Uh, realize how blessed we are. And we keep punching above our weight, and we always will, you know, and we'll always keep doing that, so that, that's great. But what I want to do uh, for today is I want to continue on our gift series, okay? Uh, the gift. So if you weren't here last week, you can, you can catch up on that online. It'll be on, on our website. But in the run-up to Christmas, I want to reflect on what the reality of, of Jesus coming to earth actually meant and, and what that means for us personally. But also with looking at the gift you know, as you can see, there's the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I asked someone yesterday, you know, when you're in the wise men room, what, what was one of the three gifts? And someone shouted out, Smarties. So another one shouted out, Chocolate. And you're like, well, that was the chocolate gold coins. But they, they often are having a bit of a joke. And the three gifts that were brought to Jesus have not only practical value, monetary value, but also very spiritual value and significance to um, the life that Jesus came to do. And last week we looked at, you know, looking at the, the Magi and and how looking at their storm, we're going to continue to do that a wee bit, but I really felt like last week the Lord was saying, you know, the Magi who had a, travel, a distance to travel, that the Lord likes to interject in order to redirect our lives, and that's something that we have to be open to as a people, that Jesus came into humble places, into the mess and the dirt that reveals to us that he comes to our messes and our dirt, that we actually don't have to have it all together in order to come to him, but actually the whole point of the story is he comes to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And there's real profound implications and significance in that for us. I didn't really get a lot of time because I got a wee bit excited. I went down a, a trail that, you know, I had planned to, but I guess sticking to the core theme of, of this series, which each gift, you know, today we're really going to look at um, some of the gifts, that the significance that it has for the, the life of Jesus to come. And Yesterday we had 
the manger scene and we pulled up a lot of random uh, people up on the stage. I mean, some of the, um, apparently I pulled up the third person, uh, someone to be a shepherd yesterday was the three, like they said, I, I, I've done this for three years in a row. And you never really know, maybe they just look like, the, they've got like, they look like a shepherd. And I was like, right, okay, next year I'll upgrade you to Joseph then, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, great. Um, but in, in the story, I mean, we, we, we pulled up, the, you get the, the wee star, just for you guys who weren't there, there was the, the, the wee person that had a star. I often wish it got like a full grown man to stick that star suit on. It's just hanging on their head, that's usually funny. Um, and you get then the animals, you get them the, the animal mask and they dress up and the wise men and, and the shepherds and then Mary and Joseph and so on. You pull them all up and you dress them um, to do that. In fact, usually you have reluctant teenagers who dress up as shepherds, but for some reason yesterday they were all at the back. I don't know, maybe because there were some cooler lads that went up at the start, some men that they were all dying to get up and do it, which, was, which is a change in previous years. So I had to change that in my message. Usually it's a reluctancy, but they're actually pretty, pretty excited to get up and do it. But the challenge that we see when we look at this uh, nativity scene is, and I think I maybe said it last week, there wasn't actually three wise men. We often think, tradition tells us three wise men because there were three gifts. But actually, scholars believe there was some, there would have been more, maybe 12 to 15, and, and, and that could be debated. But also, the wise men had quite a distance to travel, okay? To follow the star from the east, not the, the star from East Belfast, but the star from uh, the east, right? And they had a distance to travel to see Jesus. So scholars might say that Jesus wasn't actually a baby at all. So it sort of starts to de- deconstruct our nativity scene. I know somebody just went, huh, well, this is my paradigm, right? You see... Some scholars believe that by the time the wise men got there, that Jesus was maybe over a year old. In some ways, to 18 months, near, near to two years, it's, it's debated. So I don't know about you, but that changes my view of the nativity scene. Three, I'll say three wise men coming to gentle baby Jesus, meek and mild, to actually a toddler. I don't know about anybody here, but you've had a two-year-old, or you know somebody with a two-year-old, or you've maybe looked after a two-year-old, Right? <laughs> you know, the terrible twos. I don't know about you, but we often say we do not negotiate with terrorists, right, when it comes to the toddlers. <laughs> you see, I used to, ju- I'm going to be really honest, I, used to ju- I don't have a two-year-old, I used to judge when I was out, people with two-year-olds, and you'd be in a restaurant, and they'd be screaming. I think we were in Villa Vinci a couple of weeks ago, and the screaming that's happening over in the aisle, and you think there's blue murder in the back, and you can see the parents are trying to be all socially polite, and they're like, well, you stop, right? Yeah. Some of you are laughing because you, you know your memories are being ticked in. Or you're out in, in Asda at the shopping center, and, you know, the, the fit is kicked off, and you're just about to, you know, dump them in the trolley and just leave, that type of stuff. I used to, I used to judge until I actually matured a bit. And then began to, to hang around people with two-year-olds. And you see the iPads coming out, the, the, the sweets coming out. You will do absolutely anything to get them to stop. Uh, particularly in public, you will promise them, you'll promise them, I don't know, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to do anything. You, you just, you start negotiating, you're going, and you realize, and I, oftentimes you think, you know, anything just to get them to stop, right? It changes the nativity scene. I'm not saying Jesus, Jesus is very different. He probably was very, very polite for a two-year-old, right? Um, but that's just adding, the Bible doesn't tell us how it was. See, the Magi traveled a distance to offer three gifts, like I says, but have three that have spiritual significance to what uh, Jesus was prophesied to come as Israel's deliverer. Before going to the significance, I want to look at the context, if we can. Matthew 2.10, it'll come up on the screen potentially, um, 10 to 11, it says, 
When the Magi saw the star, they were filled with joy. Everyone say joy. They entered the house, not the stable. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're very, I don't know about you, but if you ever had a, when you got your uh, child, nobody came to you with gold. You probably wish they came with you with gold, frankincense, or myrrh, right? They didn't come. They're very unusual gifts in some ways that we, we would go in today's age more so. Back then, obviously, there was different significance. But for us today, if somebody came, you take the gold, the frankincense, you're going, ah, and then myrrh, you go, maybe not, you know, you maybe just leave them in the attic. Yeah, they haven't, yeah, they haven't got to, to that, right? They were very unusual gifts to us. But the Magi gave the gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like I said, gold had monetary value. and symbolized the kingship of Jesus, which we'll talk about um, in later weeks. The frankincense, which symbolized Jesus as our great high priest, which I, I sort of alluded to last week in Jesus come, coming into our mess and taking our place, who then came suffer, to offer his life and uh, stepping down into our messes. But today I want to look at the gift of myrrh. And myrrh is, the, is a valuable gum-like substance. It was used 17 times in the Bible, but actually it has antiseptic properties, which you, but actually, if you didn't know, would have been offered to Jesus mixed with the wine that when he was on, his, on the cross. Now, Jesus rejected it because he wanted to um, endure the full brunt of the cross. Also, myrrh is used to embalm the dead. So it would have been used that when Jesus was to be laid in the tomb, that's why with all of those in mind that the scholars say that myrrh often represents Jesus as the suffering servant. So that when the Magi were bringing this, it was foreshadowing who Jesus was prophesied to be as a suffering servant. The Lamb of God born to die for the forgiveness of our sins. Three unusual gifts that we can often read over, but for us and for um, humanity have real spiritual significance. So what I want to do is I want to, if you've got your Bibles, I want to look um, at a passage in Isaiah, and this hopefully will give us a bit of a, um, a, bit of a foretaste of, of just actually what Scripture was talking about when um, it brings these, okay? It's in, it's in Isaiah 53. Again, it should come up, up on the screen as well. And I want, to, I want to show us that this Scripture showed us that Jesus was being prophesied to be the suffering servant on our behalf, okay? That he would bring, not only he was a prophesied hope, but he would bring humanity back into connection with God even before he came as an infant, and that's what was prophesied, okay? Some of you in this room, I, I might lose some of you at this point, but some of you in this room are, have been aware of the World Cup going on. Some of you are recovering from last night. Whether you could be recovering or you could be in Jubilee, depending on who you were supporting. Um, England obviously got beat in, in, the, in the quarterfinals against France. I did watch it, and I was in some ways, not a huge England supporter, but I like some of the players just because some of them uh, have actually professed to have a, a faith in Jesus. Use that. It's funny, it changes the game, doesn't it, you know? Um, how you're just like, oh yeah, you know, I, I like you now, you know, I don't know anything else about you, but you know, you, you've, you've given a few interviews about um, your faith in Jesus and all of a sudden I want you to win the World Cup. I want, to, I want to do this, okay? Imagine I had the power to predict. Now, again, we know who's in the semifinals, but imagine I had the power to predict who would be in the final and uh, who would then win the final? I mean, that would be pretty, uh, what is that, one on a, one on a four chance, right, uh, to guess, okay? Now, imagine I could predict the final score of the World Cup final. Who would win it? 
and who would score the goals and at what time, right? That would be really impressive. In fact, I'd probably become every gambler's best friend, you know? Be pretty impressive. Now, if you can imagine this, imagine if the World Cup was still around 700 years from now, okay? That not only could I predict which teams, two teams, would be in the final, who would score the goals, 700 years from now, and at the exact minute, no, well, give or take. I mean, that would be unimaginable, right? I mean, that would make me a prophet like no other, wouldn't it? Well, in fact, this is essentially what Isaiah did. This is essentially what he did. He's very, very similar. He prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ, a very, in some ways, insightful and detailed account of what the suffering servant Jesus would come to do on our behalf. What I want to do is I want to look at the very real problem that is presented, but also the very real price that Jesus paid so that we'd be free from our problem, okay? So if you want to go to Isaiah 53, we'll start at six. It says, all of us, like sheep, say like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. I want to say something. When Isaiah says like sheep, that's not a compliment. Now, if you had said like lions, you'd be thinking, I'll take a lion. Or if he said, like bears, you'd be thinking, oh, I could do a big grizzly bear. In some ways, like majestic horses, you would go, I would take that, like a, you know, like a wild stallion. But no, he says, like sheep. So we have to know that's not a compliment. So think about it. You can train nearly any other animal to do what you want to do, to stay within the bounds and the safeties of what you have set up. I mean, a dog can do a lot, right? When you have to look at Britain's Good Talent, you can see some very talented dogs. A monkey's pretty smart. It can do some tricks and do quite, quite a couple of things. A horse can, you know, we use a lot for our infrastructure. We maybe have upgraded in, in terms of uh, transport these days, but heck, even a donkey can do more. You know, it can be in a petting zoo. It can give, give uh, you know, people rides on the back. We can use, we'll have a donkey next year for walk through Bethlehem, you know, and we'll use it. Not, Adam's not going to dress up. That's not what that yes was about. <laughs> but actually we have a, we, we can get a higher one. <laughs> oh, he's joking. But a sheep, no. I mean, nobody invites somebody over to go, hey, come on over to my house and watch my sheep do tricks. You know? <laughs> you invite them over to go help me find my sheep because it'll cause chaos. You see, the saying goes, and some of you farmers have heard this, is that a sheep's number one goal in life is to die. <laughs> Farmer, yep, right? Mervyn, I've got, this has been, been fact-checked, right? A, number, a sheep's number one goal in life is to die. They find themselves stuck down all sorts of trenches, ditches, we don't have trenches, ditches. In fact, they, they somehow find the smallest hole in the fence. They get through it, and then they spend the next three hours trying to figure out how to get back in. In fact, after the three hours, they get so bored, dumb, and stupid that they just wander off into somebody else's field or up and down the road causing all sorts of Chaos. I want to ask, who here is like those sheep in your li- in, at times in your life? Who here has, <laughs> I thought there was a husband and wife volunteering each other at the back. 
And I want to say this, sheep are known for basically three things. They're weak, they're witless, and they're wayward. They're weak, they're witless, and they're wayward. You see, sheep are weak and defenseless. If a trusty old fox comes along, a sheep doesn't have much special abilities to defend itself. I mean, it, might, it gets dehorned usually, so like it's, it's already useless in that sense. In fact, sheep don't even go, right, James, you go that way, I'll go this way, and we'll, we'll divide and conquer. No, what do they do? They all gather together and go, hey, fox, take your pick. Right? That's what sheep do. Now, we often go, but there's, there's safety in numbers. But man, if you run into the middle of that, they just go everywhere. They're witless. Sheep don't think for themselves. They actually tend to follow the crowd. They follow the flock. <laughs> so if sheep do some dumb sheep stuff, the others just think, oh, I'll do that too. In fact, this is a true story. In 2005, in Turkey, 1,500 dumb sheep followed each other off a cliff. Let me say it again. 1,500. That's more than the amount of people that signed up for our walk through Bethlehem history, okay? 1,500 sheep followed each other off the cliff, off a cliff in Turkey. I mean, if you think about it for a second, if you were the second one and you watched the first one plummet off the cliff, off to the death, you would go, that's not a good idea, right? Now, let's just say they were all lined up and there was like, a, you know, it was a big cliff, you know, like the, you know, what's that there, like the, the cliffs of Moor or whatever it may be. We don't know the, the, the extent of the cliff. And they were lined up. So say it even got to the, the hundredth, you know, they were all just sort of flew off. If you were 101, you would go, I think I'm going to not go that way. All right? But no, 1,500. In fact, if I was 101, I would go, I don't think where the leader's taking the health of this group is that's the best destination for this, so I'm going to go with a different way. Or maybe I'll just stop and wait, <laughs> and I'll look over and see. But no, they didn't. 1,500. Now, the good news is only 400 actually died. And it was obviously the first 400, because after that, 401, they just created a big massive sheep pillow. <laughs> And the rest of them were just coming down and going boing and boing, right? That's what happened. There is a wee, bit of a, a wee bit of a moral, that story, actually. I think sometimes our stupidity softens the blow for the generations coming behind us. So there is hope in the story. And so when Isaiah calls a sheep, he's not giving us a compliment. He's actually hinting at something deeper. Like I said, sheep are wayward. The sheep spends, after it gets out of the hole, it spends the next three hours just wandering. Goes down the road trying to find a hole that broke through. And like I said, sometimes they just wander in the neighbor's field and then they get a call saying, hey, can you go and get your wandered sheep? They believe the age-old saying is the grass is greener on the other side. In fact, they keep walking and go, maybe if I just get this car, it'll make me happy. And they go, no, that's just death. Maybe if I, you know, try this new fad or this new thing, because everyone else is doing it. No, that hurt. In fact, if everyone else is doing it, I'll just have a go. No, that's a cliff. I'm not going to go that way. Sheep are wayward. They wander. So when Isaiah calls a sheep, he's saying, we are wayward and we leave God's path to follow our own. Isaiah 53, 6-7 says, all of, our sheep, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. 
Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus our suffering servant, the sins of all of us. Remember, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before this would happen. He says, he was oppressed, in verse 7, and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. Jesus never complained. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. <clears throat> I often think of anybody who's watched um, Narnia, when Aslan is sheared, that he willingly got on the table. And he was sheared, and he was, and as he was being jeered and accused, did not complain. That's what Jesus did for us. Maybe you're here and you've been, you're in a time in your life where you've been treated unfairly. In fact, you've maybe been wrongly accused, you've been ridiculed, you've been backstabbed, you've been rejected. Do you know what? Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Verse 3 to 5 says, He was despised and rejected. As we've wrote songs, He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on Him and looked the other way. He was despised and yet we did not care. Yet it was our weakness He carried. It was our sorrows that weighed Him down. And we thought His troubles were, were a punishment from God. A punishment for His own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, our waywardness, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Because we're weak, because we're witless, because we're wayward at times, Jesus didn't just become our model. He became our solution. That even though we may be sheep, there's hope. That we don't have to be defined by our, by our not natural default. But actually instead we have a hope of a supernatural new life and new default. That we no longer have to live with that burden or that identity. A sin is our default because by His grace we've received a new way. That actually our new default is strength. Instead of weakness it's strength. Instead of witlessness it's wisdom. Instead of wayward, it's actually that we know him the way, the truth, and the life. That with intimacy with him, not because of what we did, but because of what he done. And like I said yesterday, so many people were coming. And they, they, they were saying, you know, they were taking photos of, of family members, usually because I kept telling them if they have an anniversary come up, when you have somebody who's dressed up as, as Joseph, then you can pull it back and put it up on Facebook and embarrass them, all those types of things. Just to keep the, the, the fun going. But when they look at that nativity scene, when we all look at that nativity scene, it's a, it's a scene that we're so familiar with. So familiar with. And we see at the center of, of the scene is Jesus. And I don't, about, I don't know about you, but it really challenged me to think, why would I actually follow? Why would I devote, devote my life to him? We know he's the reason for the season. We know he's the reason we're all here. But why should I follow Jesus? Not only is the scene a declaration of his love to come to us, but I believe it's the answer to our human nature. See, for me, the only response that when we truly begin to understand what Jesus has done is that we wholly begin to throw ourselves into a life following him. That it's, we, we, we go, do you know what? It's all or nothing. Jesus talks about he does not want you to be lukewarm. 
He's called you to a life of hunger. It's one of the things we were praying about. A life with a fire in our belly, a life of, of devotion. Not double-mindedness, but single-mindedness. Now, guess what? Like sheep, it doesn't have to be perfect. He's not calling you to do it perfect. But we consistently make a decision that we give up 100% at allowing Jesus to be Lord of our life. Like I said, it's weak. It's not that we rely on our own strength to walk in holiness, but actually by his grace, we begin to walk the life. Isaiah calls us witless. It's not just to follow the crowd of what culture is saying, but that we press it in his truth that sets us free. Wayward, it's not that we lean on our own understanding of my future, but we acknowledge him that he will direct our path. You see, you may be going, man, usually you're a wee bit encouraging from the front, but now I just feel a wee bit like witless, wayward, and weak. <laughs> because there might not be so much hope when we look at ourselves, but there is hope because we look at who our shepherd is. That when we begin to look at the reality of who we are, it's not only because he will lead us well, but actually because he laid down his life for us. Jesus doesn't love you just to leave you the way you are, but also he just doesn't want to leave you in the state that you are. And, and, and bring, sometimes he does bring you drag, kicking and screaming. Sometimes there's, there's times and seasons for that. But Jesus isn't here just to babysit you. He's here to see you transformed, to co-labor with you so that you can live a life that the people that can go, I want what you have. It's not about perfectionism. I actually believe it's a life of excellence in the spirit. That we're called to lead. We're called that people come and they go, I want what you have. That they look at our lives and they go, Jesus has done something in you. And you know what's even better? When they get to see our weak, our witnesses and our wayward, and then they begin to see Jesus do something in us, and they begin to see that transformed in a certain area of our lives, that's actually a greater form of testimony and evangelism. That we have to allow people to see us authentically. And then they begin to see the true transformation. That they look in the white in our eyes and they go, and I really believe those who were coming. You know, some of the things that we try to capture as a church is we want to be, you know, that's why we say Journey Community Church. We want to be people of relationship. You know, 50 years ago, I probably could have delivered a direct gospel message. And do you know what? They probably would have listened or not. But see, yesterday, I did, we didn't have the same luxury. And what I mean by that is we didn't have the same place to speak into people's lives because Christianity and, and the kingdom has got such a bad rep because of people who have fallen from grace, people who have been hypocritical. Can I tell you something? We're not on a back foot, but we have a job to do. And we have to show true transformation. We have to share what Jesus has done in our lives. We have to go, this is how he set me free. And do you know what? That's more powerful than having your theological doctrine all lined up. Can I tell you something? When you share what, is, what Jesus has truly done in your life, that's then where the power comes. I've heard conversations that some of you have had where people are going, my children, they're, they're obsessed about God. You know, can I come and help in any way? And, and they're beginning to ask those questions. In a time that, you know, and these are people from backgrounds that, you know, aren't necessarily used to a church like ours coming in. And they begin to go, there's something, because they're starting to see the real authenticity in us. Isaiah 53, 9 says, 
Jesus had done no wrong. He'd never deceived anyone, yet he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. I find it really interesting. How did Isaiah know that Joseph from Arimathea, a rich man, that Jesus would be buried in his tomb? Anyways, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made as an offering for sin, he will have made, he will have many descendants. Listen, he will enjoy a long life through his people. The Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. How many of you know you're called to prosper? You're destined to win. That when we see that all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many will be counted as righteous. Say, I am counted as righteous. For he will bear all our sins. You see, to be counted as righteous, in other words, to be counted as right standing before God, it means that when we do dumb sheep stuff, it'll not be held against us. I don't know about you, but I do some dumb sheep stuff. Jesus came as a sheep, taking on our nature, carrying its blame so that we could take on his new nature. He, we put on his robes of righteousness, that by his stripes we would be healed, is what Galatians say. I want to invite the, the band back up, and we'll maybe go into a song or two, just to, um, when we think about the wise men who brought gifts, particularly the gift of myrrh, the substance that was used to embalm the dead, we see God foreshadowing what Jesus' life would be for. That he would die so that we could live. And that we would join in his resurrection. Remember, Jesus endured the cross. He didn't stop at it, he endured it. So when somebody says, you've got struggle, you've got conflict in your life, and you go, oh, that's just your cross, endure it until you get to heaven. Can I tell you something? That's not what Jesus is prophesying over your life. He said there will be a resurrection. That when people come along and say, you're just like a dumb sheep, say, no, no, because I have a new nature. That all, thing, all the old is gone and the new's come. He would die so that we would live. Well, that we no longer have to be weak. So maybe there's areas of your life you're going, man, I feel pretty weak. Maybe you've, you've really screwed up in the past week or two or a month. That's not held against you. Maybe you've just been following the crowd and you feel like, you know, I wasn't really thinking for myself when I did that. But God wants to come and to pour out his wisdom. And that you no longer have to wander in life and be wayward. That actually he wants to come with intimacy. So why don't you stand? I really believe this morning for some of us that God wants to do a divine exchange this morning. Last week he did a divine interjection. I really feel like this morning he wants to do a divine exchange. Our old for his new. Our sin for his holiness. And I want us to take a bit of time as we go into a time of worship. And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, what does he want to exchange in your life today? Is there anything that you want to exchange, Holy Spirit? And see what he says. Just you and him. Nobody else is going to come tapping on the shoulder asking what it is. Take a bit of time as we begin to lift him, as we begin to press into his presence with a fullness of joy, we begin to press in 
to still small voices. We enter into worship. Just ask him, Holy Spirit, what do you want to exchange? What am I carrying that's not of you? I want to give it to you this morning. And invite him in to see the greatest gift that we talk about sealed in your heart. Isaiah was prophesying about the hope to come. Jesus sealed that hope. He's here this morning and he wants to seal that, the reality of that hope in your hearts and in your life this morning. That's how good he is. And that's how he really is. So Father, this morning, we invite you to come as we press in to your presence, to, your, to communion with you, Lord. We pray, would you come and help us to do a divine exchange. Anything that is not of you, the old for your new. Like Jesus, you're so good that you want to freely give good gifts to those who come and ask. And this morning we have old, in fact, I feel like this is prophetic. Kevin came this morning with old toys. In fact, they're new, but they were, they were old to his kids. And he didn't, actually didn't know he was going to do this. And he came and he says, hey, I want you to give the, impart these to somebody else, which is an incredible gesture. And there's something about when we give, and they are nice new toys, by the way, but there is something about when we give our old so that we can receive the new. And Father, we just pray this morning, would you come and give us the strength and the grace to do that exchange as we be real with ourselves so we can enter into your transformed reality. Father, we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come as you lead us into divine exchanges this morning. In Jesus' name, let's worship.